Good morning everyone. Today's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 7 verses 1 to 17. <clears throat> when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Everybody, I want to start off by telling you a little history about me. When I was a teenager, I was heaps into basketball. Um, my favorite player was Charles Barkley on the Phoenix Suns, and I watched every game. And I had a basketball hoop above my garage, and every day I would go outside and I'd play basketball and shoot hoops for hours and hours and hours. I was, as a teenager, obsessed with being a basketball player. I wanted to be a star. I played pickup games with friends all the time, and uh, I got pretty good. So good, in fact, that I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try out for our high school basketball team, and I'm definitely going to make the cut because I've been working at this. And so, uh, over the series of uh, about three weeks, um, our basketball team had these tryouts where you'd go and you'd play games and you'd shoot and you'd do all these drills. And I thought to myself, I got this. Uh, I, I, I'm totally gonna make this team. And so I remember when that coach got me in the locker room and I'm like, here's my moment. He's gonna tell me, Travis, you did it. And he sat down and he said, well, Travis, you, you tried really hard. You, and so you, you should be proud of yourself. 
And I thought, yes, I should be proud of myself. I did try really hard. But then he said the fateful words that I still have not forgotten some 25 years later, where he said, but you're just not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You've been cut. And I remember my, my heart sinking down into my stomach and feeling this queasiness in my, in my guts, feeling like that, that can't be right. What happened in that moment is someone essentially told me, Travis, you are not worthy. You're not good enough. You will never be good enough. But that moment happened and my dreams were completely dashed. And for now, the rest of my life, I, I remember that very vividly. And I felt I I'm not worthy. I've never been worthy. And I really haven't played basketball that much since then. We are looking at a story, two stories in fact, in Luke chapter 7, that revolve around that question of people that Jesus encounters who meet that same sort of criteria that aren't worthy. And we get to look at what Jesus does for those sorts of people, people who aren't good enough. People who shouldn't make the cut. What sort of thing does Jesus do with these people? And what do we have to learn from these stories? So jump, let's jump in and take a look. Uh, the first story happens in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. And uh, it's a story where Jesus is, is out and about, and some uh, Jewish people from the local town summon him. And they say, you need to come here. Uh, there's a centurion and his servant is sick and dying. You need to come and heal him. And so Jesus makes his way to the centurion's house. And then this story plays out where he has this conversation with this Roman centurion. And you may think, well, what's this story about, right? Because here's someone who, who is worthy. Um, he is worthy. He's, he's the, the cream of the crop. He's the pinnacle of, of society back then. Let's look at his profile and what we can learn. So here's, here's what a typical Roman centurion would have been like back then. One, they would have been the enemy of God's people, right? The, these are the people that have moved into the, the promised land, your land that God has given you, and they are oppressing you. And the Roman centurion was the symbol of these soldiers who have illegally come in and are repressing you and, and taking away your freedom, right? So, so Roman centurions are the enemy of God's people. Secondly, Roman centurions, they serve another lord, right? That, whether that's their, their higher commander or Caesar himself, there is someone else that they serve. Um, that they call Lord, that is not Yahweh. Third, these are people who do not care for those who are considered less, less than them. So in, in that society, if you're a Roman centurion and you're in Israel, you look at all those other people and you're like, these people are not, they're not like me. They're not Roman and they, they are dogs. And, and they would treat people like that. And if you were uh, a woman, or you were poor, or you had a disability, or something like that, then you were even further considered and treated as less than. 
by a Roman centurion. Um, fourthly, um, they are the symbol of unrestrained power, right? They were trained army officers with the best weapons, and they could do whatever they wanted. They could steal your stuff, they could kill you, they could throw you in the prison for no reason. They could do virtually anything to you, and you couldn't do anything about it. They were the pinnacle of unrestrained power. And lastly, um, Roman centurions had faith in many things. Um, they had faith in, in Caesar. They had faith in all these pagan gods that they worshipped. They had, they had faith in their family. Romans were really about family. They were about power and, and wealth and uh, conquering the world. So they, they, they had faith in all these different things. But have a look at this guy that Jesus meets. He's sort of the opposite of those things. Instead of being an enemy of God's people, he's called a friend. These Jewish people, uh, which is a, a radical thing for a Jewish person to come and say, you need to heal this guy's servant because he's helped us. He's a friend of ours. He's helped construct this synagogue. That's really interesting. He also calls Jesus Lord, not Caesar, not his commanding officer. He looks at Jesus and calls him Lord. He recognizes that there's something about Jesus, that Jesus is above him, that he recognizes. Um, it says that this guy cares for both the Jews that are under his jurisdiction, so he doesn't see them as less, he, he treats them as equals, and he cares for someone who is vulnerable in that society. So his own servant, uh, instead of just saying, well, it's just a servant, who cares? He's, he's not really even a human. He deeply is concerned and moved about this person who is serving him. And uh, he has this, his heart for people that are less than him. Um, he's humble. He's, he's not someone who's unrestrained power. He's actually power restrained. And that's what humility is. He says to Jesus, look, I, I understand that I'm a commanding officer. There's people under my authority. I tell them to go, they go. I tell them to stay, they stay. I understand that. I have that ability. But he comes to Jesus and he says, but I am, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I, I look at you and you're the ultimate commanding officer. Who am I? He has this ingrained humility. And instead of having faith, and all these other things like typical Romans did, Caesar or these other gods or their family or whatever, it says he has faith in Jesus. Jesus actually applauds the man's faith and he says, never have I seen faith like this in all of Israel. He commends this man's faith like it's incredible. So he's a very unusual guy. And yet he even recognizes he's not worthy. Uh, he, he, compared to Jesus, does not measure up. He, he doesn't make the cut. So what happens here? Well, Jesus speaks the word, his servant is healed, and uh, that's the end of the story. So what do we learn then? <laughs> what do we learn about Jesus, and what can we learn about ourselves from this story? Well, two things which I'll expand on in a little bit. Uh, the two things are this. One, Jesus has great authority, and Jesus pursues those who are in need of rescue. So here's someone who Jesus meets who's the pinnacle of power, who has everything going for them, and he finds himself helpless, 
unworthy, uh, unable to do anything about this situation that he finds himself in, and he, and he cries out. But Jesus, who he recognizes as Lord, is the only one who just with a word can do anything. Jesus has ultimate authority. And Jesus goes out of his way to provide rescue to those who need it. He heals this man's servant. He goes and he does something about it. He's, he's not disinterested, he cares. So Jesus has authority and he pursues those in need of rescue. But what do we learn about ourselves in this little story? Well, this is what we learn. Uh, it's a question. Are we more like the classic Roman centurion or are we like this Roman centurion? In other words, are we someone that we act like we're an enemy of God's people, that we call other things the Lord of our life, that we don't care for people who um, are vulnerable, or, or we look at other people and we think they're, they're less than us? Um, do we crave just more and more this unrestrained power? And do we have faith in other things instead of God, that we put faith in our friendships or faith in our um, renovations or faith in our wealth or or whatever or are we more like this centurion who has so much going for him yet considers himself compared to Jesus unworthy and he throws up his hands in the air and says I can't do anything compared to you I need your help and rescue which one are we more like which leads us into our second story there's a story of uh, Jesus goes into a town and he sees uh, this funeral procession that's going. And on, uh, and on this pallet um, is this woman's son, a widow, someone who has lost her husband. It's her only son and she is, um, and everybody is pretty devastated. And in this story, it's a little different. Uh, no one summons Jesus to say, you do something about it. But Jesus looks at this woman and it says he has... Uh, his heart goes out for her, which we'll talk about in a second, and he heals um, the woman's son. So let's look at the profile of this woman and see what we can learn about Jesus and about ourselves in this story. So a widow then, were, widows were looked down on in society. They were the lower class because women, unfortunately back then, were viewed as less than, not as important as men. And so if you had lost your husband, you sort of lost that bit which made you worthy, unfortunately. Um, and so widows were often forgotten about, left to just spend for themselves. And many widows ended up becoming destitute, and some would even go into prostitution if their husband and, and their sons had died because they had no value and worth and no way to sustain themselves except by selling their bodies. And the fact that she had no husband and no son meant for this woman that without that, without those people in her life, that she was subject to a life of abject poverty and despair. She wasn't worthy. But what do we learn about Jesus in this story? Well, uh, it, we learn that Jesus has great compassion, authority, and he pursues those in need of rescue, just like in our other story. Um, when the text says that Jesus' heart goes out for her, um, the actual Greek word uses this word, it's uh, Jesus had splagnon for her. 
Um, he was moved in his splagnon. That's a funny word to say. Splagnon basically means guts or your, your bowels. And it's how people back then talked about um, um, having compassion for someone that you're, um, like we would say, my heart goes out to you or we, the heart is our, the center of our emotions back then. And for Greeks, it was your guts, your bowels, your innards, that you would see someone in need and something in, inside of your stomach would just growl and twist up because you know that situation's not right. And so it says Jesus' bowels, his guts moved within him when he saw um, her misery and, and her despair. Um, and the funny thing is, is that this is not an accident, right? That Jesus happened to go to the exact town at the exact time that this funeral was happening. Um, it, there's no way that that's an accident. But we learn that Jesus goes out of his way to pursue those who are lost. Those who society has deemed not worthy. Now the thing is, what's interesting about these both of these stories at is that they are a real-life version of the parable of the, uh, the prodigal son. Right there we have a story of a son who ran away from his father, um, and, he, and he loses everything. He blows everything, and he realizes that he is in desperate need of rescue. Um, the son, like the centurion, says, I am not worthy to be called your son. It's the exact same phrase. And, uh, and so he, he makes his way to return to his father. But the father, he's, uh, even though his son has sort of disowned him and said, I wish you were dead, and, and ran away and, and, and wasted his whole life, it says that the father is actively watching for him. Um, he knows the, the authority that his father has, that he's messed up, that, that he can't go back, that he's not worth it. And yet, we have this picture of the father who goes out of his way to pursue his lost child. It says when he sees his son off in the distance that he had compassion for him. The Greek word that's used there is that same word, splagnon, that his, he saw his son and his, his guts turned within him. That this father could not simply sit at home and say, well, if he ever does come home, he's really going to get it. No, he, he goes out of his way and he, he looks over the horizon day after day for when his lost son was going to return. And when he, and the son does, it, he's filled with this compassion, this, this splagnon, just like Jesus had for this widow. So what do we learn about ourselves then? If we learn that about Jesus, that Jesus has, again, this ultimate power to, to raise someone back from the dead, and that Jesus has this deep compassion for those that we might consider unworthy, and he pursues those who are lost. What do we learn about ourselves? Well, uh, as a side note, if Jesus recognizes and responds to our needs, it means that he is not unaware of what we're going through. He's not unaware of who we are, uh, of how we see ourselves as unworthy or how may, maybe others see our, us as unworthy. He doesn't accidentally sort of bump into us and say, oh, well, I didn't know you're here and I didn't know what you're going through. Jesus deliberately finds us and uh, meets our needs and speaks into our lives. Which means then, for us, 
If we follow a God who has that ultimate authority, and he uses that authority and power to shower his love on those who are lost, those who consider themselves unworthy, and he, he pursues those in need of rescue, shouldn't we, as followers of this same Jesus, live the same way? Shouldn't we use the authority that Jesus has bestowed upon us to show this heart-filled, gut-moved, splagnon compassion on those who are in need of rescue? Um, we've talked about how now we are living in crazy times. And it doesn't take a genius to look around and understand that this world is broken. It's lost. It doesn't make the cut. Uh, and everywhere you, you see, there are, there are people who are in need of rescue. And even though we can't do church as normal yet, um, you can still be that church. You can be someone who models your life after this Jesus who has gone out of his way to pursue you and uses his power and authority to transform your life. You and I can do the same for those around us, that you and I can be that church, showing Jesus' authority and compassion to the world.